And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Monday mailbag part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Tim McMaster here along with Ken Rosenthal. We are back after a week away, recharged, ready for some pen and fever. And Ken, you were in Atlanta Saturday night for the Braves walking it off against the Astros. And as we look at things right now, late August, that series, which wraps up today as we record this on Sunday, um, you can tell me if I'm crazy, but it feels like a potential World Series preview. I'm not trying to shortchange the Dodgers, the Mets, or the suddenly really struggling Yankees. I'm just saying that those two teams right now look look ready for October. They do. And Tim, it actually is a great point you make because right before I interviewed Travis Darneau, who had the game-winning hit Saturday night, and right before we both got drenched with Gatorade, he said voluntarily, without me asking, that felt like a playoff game. And it did. That was a crazy game, Saturday night, 11 innings, the Braves finally win. And these two teams are clearly two of the elite teams in the game. Now, as you mentioned, they're not the only elite teams. We're not shortchanging everybody, though I must say, I am left at a loss for words about the Yankees. We'll deal with them another time. Unlike Aaron Boone, I am speechless. But as for the Braves and the Astros, they are both quite interesting. And I'm going to start with the Braves because it's really a larger conversation. And it involves the Mets. So my favorite day of the week is Friday. And I'll give you a little bit of insight into my working life here. And the reason I love Friday is because I go to the park to prepare for the Saturday broadcast. And I talk to as many people as I can. And the conversations are often things I'm trying to learn in preparation for the broadcast. But they're often just random baseball conversations. And a number of the Astros asked me over the course of the two days who I thought was better, the Mets or the Braves. And their perspective was interesting. They were not impressed by the Mets because they beat them four times in June, outscored them 24 to 6. It was 4 to nothing in the season series. And at the same time, those players who I spoke with acknowledged, hey, that wasn't the same Mets team we're seeing now. There was no Scherzer, no DeGrom. Trevor Williams started one of those games. Carrasco started two of them. Taiwan Walker, the other. So... They understood that that wasn't necessarily a fair gauge. And their question about the Mets, even with that, was a question I've had all season. And yet, despite having this question, the numbers tell a different story. I have wondered all year about their offense. If it is good enough for a World Series type run. And you look at the statistics, runs per game, the Braves are third. Overall, yes, slightly ahead of the Mets, who are fifth. They're fifth. In weighted runs created plus, which is a more varied, granular offensive statistic in some ways, the Mets actually are ahead of the Braves. They rank fifth, the Braves eighth. So 
Those numbers, of course, reflect a year's worth of work, a season. What we're seeing lately from the Braves, though, is a different team than we saw earlier in the year. And the same is true, of course, for any team. Braves, going into Sunday, had won 11 of 12. Ever since losing 3 of 4 at City Field, they kind of turned it on. And Austin Riley told me that series was a bit of a wake-up call for the Atlanta Braves. So I love where they are right now. Grissom has provided fresh energy. Michael Harris, of course, is a revelation. And they just have a very deep team. Maybe a deeper bullpen than the Mets, too, with the addition of Iglesias. From the right side, Minter from the left side, setting up Jansen. They have an alternative closer in Iglesias now. They have Colin McHugh in that bullpen. Some others throwing well. They just look really good. Now, the Mets entered Sunday with a three-game lead. And the Mets, for all the questions that they face this year, all the different obstacles with the injuries, the different things that come up throughout the course of a season, they have continually, continually played well and well enough to have this lead that they have earned and deserve. It's going to be really interesting, Tim, in my opinion, to see what happens now in the final six weeks if there is more separation between these teams or less. My anticipation is less. To me, they're really close. So that is the view I took from this weekend of the Braves-Mets situation. Now, the Astros are in an entirely different position. They are quite clearly, in my opinion, the best team in the American League. Now, they're not maybe the team that they would be with Michael Brantley, who's out for the year, and Trey Mancini is a really good player. He's not Michael Brantley. They miss his leadership. They miss him from the left side. They miss Alebnis Diaz, too, right now. And in the first two games of this series, or at least the Saturday game, they didn't have Jordan Alvarez, and obviously different offense without him. He's back Sunday after that scare with the shortness of breath Friday night. This, too, is a team that you look at and you think is built for October. Now, their bullpen is really good. Best in the league, in fact, according to ERA. And yet, there's that one flaw. They lack a lefty. Now, they have Will Smith now, but he hasn't performed all that well. He's their only left-hander. In 2019, they went to the World Series without a left-handed reliever and did just fine, quite obviously, because they had righties who could get lefties out. They have that now as well. They also have the six starters, which is just amazing. And we wanted to talk about this on the broadcast last night and never got to it. Six starters, five of them, all but Verlander, are homegrown. Four of them were international signings, guys who cost a combined $140,000. Javier, Valdez, Garcia, Urquidy. Urquidy was the most expensive of them. He cost $100,000. The others were combined $40,000. And even if Verlander leaves this year on his player option, which he probably will decline as long as he stays healthy, okay, then they've got Hunter Brown, one of their top prospects, entering the mix next year. They'll have six starters still, all under control for at least three years. It's astonishing what they've done from that perspective. So... They're in a really good spot, especially with the Yankees reeling right now. The Mariners are a team that they sort of fear, even though they pummel them on a regular basis. Speaking of some of the Astros players, they they like the Mariners. They think they're good. And they're not necessarily fooled by what has happened in the season series. But anyway, all of these 
different scenarios are evolving as we get toward the end now. And it's really interesting. And it's going to be really interesting, too, to see how the new playoff format plays out. Because the loser of the Mets Braves, getting back to the National League, is going to be in the wild card round. And it's going to take four rounds to win rather than three. That's going to be difficult to do. There is real incentive to win the division. And that goes, of course, for the AL Central as well. All of the closer division races. St. Louis-Milwaukee now seems to be widening a little bit. But the point is clear. To get to one of the first two spots in particular is the key. The NL Central team might not get one of them. They might be the third team, and then they'd have to play in the wild card round too. So, again, new format, new season. Every season's different. Every season's exciting. And this one is going right down to the wire as well. And it's just fascinating to watch it all evolve. Yeah, and it is going to be wild to see how that that wild card round plays out with the three straight games over a weekend. It's really wild card weekend at Major League Baseball. That's going to be so much fun. All right, with that, let's move on to the mailbag. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, you know how to do it. You can call us 646-543-7072. The email is TA baseball show at gmail.com Ken we were off last week so there's a bit of a backlog with some of these questions but some of the better ones that are still relevant I kind of brought forward so we're going to start with Fernando Tetis Jr. a couple of these ones first comes from Harry he says have you ever heard a baseball executive or a player's teammates speak as frankly about their disappointment and distrust as AJ Preller and the Padres players have about Fernando Tatis Jr.'s of course Fernando Tatis Jr. testing positive for a banned substance getting an 80 game suspension. I don't know that I have heard players and a GM as blunt as they were talking about Tatis, but keep in mind this was not just one thing that happened. This was on top of the wrist injury the broken wrist which he was not particularly forthcoming about actually not forthcoming about at all at least initially so that's kind of two strikes against Tatis in the eyes of the people around him and yet I've had a lot of thoughts about this this happened on the first day I went on vacation now people might say why do you take vacation during the season well if you notice we have an off season too and that never stops either so at some point (laughs) I have to shut it down And I do shut it down for one week in August and one week generally in December. So I take that break. Tatis gets suspended. And yes, I saw A.J. Preller's quotes. I saw all the reaction. And one thought I had beyond the obvious disappointment we all have in Tatis, 
because this is simply not acceptable. To test positive for a performance-enhancing substance, I'm sorry, you're not too smart. And I remember a long time ago, I would speak with a Penn State professor, Charles Yasalis, when this was all getting started with the steroid era, early 2000s. And he would tell me, hey, only idiots fail drug tests. Only idiots test positive. And especially, this is true right now in Major League Baseball, when players are told, begged, anything you take, let us know. We'll tell you if it is admissible or not, whether it will force you to test positive or not. And it is very clear to the players what they need to do if they have any questions. Check with their club. The list of substances is readily available. They all know them. The trainers, the health personnel, they all know this. So for Tatis to say, well, I took this medication inadvertently, no, 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 no. does not work. So that is why you heard such frustration from Preller, from the players, and that is why that frustration is entirely legitimate. I don't want to hear any excuses. There are no excuses when you test positive. None. Period. Now, that said, there's another issue at hand here. And in my view, it's getting overlooked. They signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to a $340 million contract when he was, what, 21 years old? Teams love doing this. Ah, oh, we got our guy locked up. We got him locked up, in most cases, at an affordable rate. The Braves just did it with a ton of guys. Occasionally, when you do that, the player might not respond all that well. And it certainly appears that Tatis is a guy who has not responded all that well, has not taken that contract as a sign of greater responsibility, but as a sign perhaps to be less responsible, which is not, of course, the idea. So all these teams, they're all so smart all the time. You better know who you're dealing with. And that's the question I have with Tatis now. Who is this guy? Is he what we thought? This electric, incredibly talented performer, magnetic personality? Or is he just an immature kid who needs to grow up? Or... Is he one of these guys that's never going to figure it out? He's never going to get it. He's always going to be kind of screwing up. I don't know the answer to that. Only Fernando Tatis Jr. can give us the answer to that. And for the sake of the sport, for the sake of himself, his family, his own career, I want that answer to be, yeah, he just made a couple of mistakes and he went on to have a great career. But keep in mind, when the Padres gave him that contract, I would bet they were thinking, hmm, We'll have him for pretty much his whole career, if not his entire career, and he'll go into the Hall of Fame as a Padre. Well, not so simple anymore. I don't know what the standards will be 20 years from now when he's eligible, assuming he plays that long and he has that kind of career. Maybe at that point, people won't even care about PEDs. The voters, I mean. But I sort of doubt that, and this is certainly a blemish. The wrist thing, the way it played out was a blemish. It's extremely disappointing, and... All I'm saying here is Tatis bears the brunt of this. No question about it. It's his responsibility. But the team empowered him, enabled him by giving him that contract. Other teams have done the same with other players, and it doesn't always turn out to be as smart as all of the geniuses running our baseball teams think. Yeah, the Braves have been great with it. They're, they're guys. Yes. They've, they've chosen the right guys. Yes, they have. I, would, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. All right. One more about uh, Tatis. This one from Aaron. 
says, if I'm Tatis and telling the truth, then I'd reach out to a Ken Rosenthal type reporter. I'd open up and share with my, with him my doctor records about a ringworm diagnosis, as well as the prescription for the medication that supposedly contained the banned substance. I'd admit to making a mistake, but try to prove that it was not intentional. Short of that, don't we have to assume that he's lying? Amen. And perhaps to an even more specific point, if he had all of that supposed evidence, then he should have appealed. But he dropped the appeal at the last minute. He was going to appeal, it sounded like, and then he did not. So if you really believe that this was inadvertent and it was just a mistake, guys have appealed before. Now, it rarely works, but you can get the suspension knocked down if you prove in your appeal that perhaps it wasn't inadvertent. He didn't go that far. He didn't do that. And he hasn't provided the receipts for any of this. Any of the claims made by him, his father, whatever. If indeed it's as he says, let's see it. And frankly, everyone would want to see that. No one wants to believe Fernando Tatis Jr. is just a blatant drug cheat. But right now, that is the only logical conclusion to draw because, again, there is no excuse in this day and age, in this sport, for testing positive. I, I can repeat it a hundred times and I wouldn't repeat it enough. No excuse. All right. We're going to move away from Tatis now. And the last game that you were at, Ken, before your vacation, I think, was the Field of Dreams game, right? Yes. Uh, so Mitch weighs in on that. Love listening to the show. Two-part question. I've really enjoyed watching the Field of Dreams game these past two seasons, and it's felt like a genuine event that's good for the game. So with the recent news that the Field of Dreams game won't happen in 2023 due to construction, I was curious, does MLB have plans to return in 2024? And would they also be interested in adding future Field of Dreams-style games in different locations? Good questions, Mitch. I'm not sure of the answer. All we know right now is, as you said, there will be no game next year. They're doing some things to the site, and it sounds like they want to expand it, make it even better. Make it a place where they can stage all these big youth tournaments. Now, in the future, I would expect we'll see the Field of Dreams game again at some point. Will we see it every year? I'm not sure. And listen, I loved being a part of it too. It is so cool to be there. It is so beautiful. The people are so welcoming in Iowa. Everyone is so happy about the event. It's just beautiful on television. I can definitely see it happening again. I don't know that it should happen with the Cubs and the Reds out of contention. The one thing that was missing this year was a meaningful competition. These two teams, they both are rebuilding. They both undid themselves at the deadline to some extent. <laughs> and it just kind of made for... A different kind of feel. In addition, it's a little difficult, well, it was a lot difficult, to match the beauty of the ceremony the first year when Costner came out, followed by the players. That's once in a lifetime. You're not going to do that again. The Griffies, the dad and son, that was cool, but it wasn't nearly the same. Didn't nearly have the same emotional wallop. So if they're going to do it, it probably would behoove them, and this is just me talking, to do it every couple of years. Now, as to the other part of your question, will baseball stage other similar type special events? Yes, that is something the sport is looking to do. As we tape this, we're getting ready for the Little League game tonight, the one at Williamsport, the Little League Classic, and that has become a really good event every year. And I would expect they're going to pick some other funky sites 
in the years to come. Funky is probably not the right word. Interesting sites. One would be possibly an old Negro Leagues ballpark. There's been talk of the one in Newark, perhaps, maybe Birmingham. This is talk mostly among the media, not among Major League Baseball people, as far as I know. That would be something to see. And there are other things you can do, too. I remember Tom Verducci years ago wrote a suggestion for a game at Mount Rushmore. These are the kinds of things that baseball can consider. I don't know how practical that is. I've never been to Mount Rushmore. It would be really cool. (laughs) But these are the kinds of things that I think the sport would like to take advantage of. We've seen in the NHL the Winter Classic, what a thing that is each year. You don't want to go crazy with it and have five games a year, but you certainly can mix it up and do some different things. Yeah, you got to pick some cool sites. Mount Rushmore would be tricky. I have been there. I lived out there actually briefly. Um, wow. And not a lot. Yeah, not a lot of flat ground around Mount Rushmore to put a ball field. I uh, yeah. Uh, quick story, Ken. I actually stood on George Washington's head on Mount Rushmore. Looked at back in my uh, back in my local sports days, back uh, right out of college. So, and with that, we will move on. Uh, to more pressing baseball matters. This one from Danny. He says, like many Cubs fans, I'm still processing my surprise that Wilson Contreras was not traded at the deadline. In a lot of the analysis, people are pointing to how the league rates its defense and the challenges of switching catchers midseason. It's something we talked about on this podcast. That all makes sense for this year. But my question is about Contreras' future value. It seems like that some element of automated balls and strikes or ABS is coming to MLB in the near future. While Contreras has rated as a poor framer, he's always had a good strong arm and was a key part of controlling the running game for John Lester after David Ross retired. Do you see ABS helping mitigate some of the weakness Contreras and other the weaknesses of Contreras and other poor framers, might this usher in a new era of bag-first catchers with strong throwing arms? Danny, I like where you're going with this question, and it's a really fascinating point that you raise. I'll start with Contreras because to simply portray this as a question of framing is too much of an oversimplification. The defensive questions you hear about him are not simply with framing. If they were, then your question would be a lot more pointed with regard to him. There's also issues with the way he works with pitchers. These are things you hear. It's not anything you can measure, really. The game calling, the game planning, all of these things. So there are other defensive concerns besides framing. So that's an issue he's going to face in free agency. But the point you raise is a great point going forward. Now, framing is a skill that has always really bothered me. It shouldn't be a skill at all, right? If we know the strike zone, if we're getting the pitches called correctly, framing shouldn't matter. We know it does matter, and we know certain catchers are better at it than others, but yes, an automatic ball strike system should eliminate, I would think will eliminate, the value of framing. And yes, it will be better at that point for catchers who are not necessarily proficient at that particular skill, but there is so much more to catching than framing. You mentioned throwing. Blocking is another part of it, and working with pitchers. And that, to me, is the thing that it's undefinable. It's not something that we can quantify in a game where we try to quantify everything. And the example I always use is Yadier Molina. You cannot tell me his value simply by whatever numbers he produces as a catcher and as a hitter. There is much more going on with him and that pitching staff than that. So, yes, The ABS automatic ball strike system will most likely eliminate framing as a skill. I think that will be beneficial for the sport. I don't like 
the idea that catchers can simply steal strikes, even though, yes, it's currently a skill and currently one that is quite useful. It will be a better game when that is no longer the case. All right, let's move along to the New York Yankees, who we've mentioned a couple times already on this show. But Andrew says, hey, Ken and Tim, watching this current Yankees team, it is impossible for me to believe this is the same team that was playing at a 740 winning percentage earlier this season. I know it's early, but the trade deadline seems to have been a complete disaster. And my initial thought is Cashman, by trading away Montgomery and Gallo, has had a negative impact on the clubhouse. I know that Cashman's last name might as well be Steinbrenner with the amount of job security that he has had. But if this Yankees team continues to lose, would this finally be it for Cashman? Or alternatively, do you think Boone would be painted as the scapegoat for this collapse? Would love to hear your thoughts. Andrew, you speak for thousands, maybe even millions of Yankee fans who are universally frustrated. On Sunday, they had Old Timers Day. Hal Steinbrenner was booed. Cashman was booed. The fans are feeling it, and they are voicing their displeasure, and understandably so, based on the way the Yankees have played in the second half. Now, would someone get fired? That's your question. Well, it depends how bad this would get. As Aaron Boone keeps saying... It's right in front of them. All they need to do is start playing better, and I expect that they will at some point. They're too good. They're not simply going to collapse. They have had some injuries, yes, no different than any other team for the most part. They have had some things go against them. I get it. You look at the bullpen in particular, Michael King, Chad Green, Clay Holmes now, Chapman for a little bit. There has been a lot with the bullpen that has just not gone the way you would expect. Zach Britton's been out all year. So, okay, all of this factors in, all of this adds up to what we're seeing. But there is going to be a lingering question about the deadline. And you mentioned, Andrew, that it's early, and it is early. It's not even three weeks yet since the deadline has passed. The early results are not good for the Yankees. Montgomery, first three starts, 0.54 ERA. He's benefiting from pitching. In St. Louis, all three starts were at home. He's benefiting from having that great defense behind him. Molina, the whole works. But at the same time, the Yankees essentially said when they traded him, we don't think this guy's good enough for our postseason rotation. I'm sure some Yankee fans who are watching Montas versus Montgomery right now might have some opposing thoughts. The idea that trading Joey Gallo is bad for chemistry, please. Joey Gallo had to go. Every Yankee fan was saying the same thing. Yes, he's hit three homers and 27 at-bats since joining the Dodgers. He was going to be better almost anywhere he went. One of those home runs, by the way, was off Nicky Lopez. The shortstop Nicky Lopez in a blowout, so let's not get too carried away. I understood what they did at the deadline. Didn't entirely like it. Had some questions about it, but I understood where they were coming from. Now, we haven't seen Harrison Bader play yet. Assuming he comes back in September and offers that plus defense in center field, that's going to be an asset for them. And if they get Montas straightened out, he's coming back from that shoulder issue, things should start to look better. And I do expect they're going to play better. Are they the team we thought earlier? Maybe not. But my goodness, did anyone seriously expect them to win 125? No, I don't believe that. 100? Yeah, that was more realistic, and that's now in jeopardy. And certainly... Best overall record in the American League is in jeopardy, if almost out of reach at this point. Actually, that's overstating it. It's getting to be out of reach. And that's something that's quite important. We know that from the ALCSs in 2017 and 19. So there's still time, plenty of time for the Yankees to write this. And ultimately, if they come back and play better, if Stanton comes back this week and they finally kind of get going again, 
we'll just look at this as a bad four-week stretch or whatever it's been. But at some point, you've got to prove it. You've got to play better, and we're still waiting. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. All right, a couple more questions. This one from Chris. He says, it used to always be that players not traded by the trade deadline could still be traded before the rosters became set if they cleared revocable waivers. But it seems that I read something about the rules on that changing. Can players still pass through revocable waivers in August and be traded, or is that no longer a possibility? If it is still possible, who are some of the players you've heard of who could do it? Chris, I don't mean to make fun of you, but it's been, I think, four years now yeah. since that happened. Right. And there was a point, yes, where trades were possible in August before 2019. And it's just as you said, players would be placed on revocable waivers. If they got claimed, a team would have 48 hours to work out a trade, or they could let the player go on the claim with the other team assuming his salary, or they could pull back the player. That's revocable. They eliminated that practice to make the trade deadline, the actual trade deadline, rather than the waiver deadline, more impactful and to give it that much more meaning, right? I personally do not miss the waiver period. I hated it, and I'll tell you why I hated it. This is simply from a reporting perspective. If you remember, when the team has placed players on revocable waivers, that process was supposed to be confidential. And yet... It's my job and other reporters' jobs to find out what the heck is going on at all times. And we try like heck to find out who was 
going on revocable waivers, who wasn't. It was a pain in the butt. And teams were really protective of that information because they feared getting fined if the information got out. Anyway, there were trades made. The most famous of them in recent years was the Verlander trade to the Astros, which was right at the waiver deadline, actually the deadline to set postseason rosters on August 31st. And that was a very dramatic, crazy trade. But those kinds of deals are not possible anymore. That process is no longer in place. All right, and final question comes from Jeffrey. He says, so Cleveland is now the Guardians, and in the NFL, Washington is now the Commanders. How long before the Braves change their name? I think recent success delayed the change, for better or worse. I understand not wanting to rebrand a hot commodity, but it is coming, I would think. After seeing the negative reaction to the new names in Cleveland and Washington, I can understand the hesitation to upset a fan base. So I propose this. Lose the S. Be the Atlanta Brave as a play on National Anthem Close, home of the Brave. It would require the team to do away with all Native American themes, the tomahawk chop, the drums, any music that would lead to the chop, and any logos or decor incorporate national themes and patriotic things, and the fan base should be on board with that. Maybe even use an eagle logo to match Atlanta themes of birds like the Falcons and the Hawks. I get it might be too close to the Nationals themes, but should be able to differentiate enough that I think having Bravo's mostly keep name will please fans. I just worry dropping the S will be seen as a disservice to natives and lacking effort. Well, this is a complicated question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's one that gets debated all the time. Last year at the World Series, Rob Manfred commissioner of baseball was asked about this and he said even in the wake of cleveland's name change that the league supports the braves name and even supports the tomahawk chop celebration manfred was quoted as saying the braves have done a phenomenal job in the native american community the native american community in that region is fully supportive of the braves program including the chop now he was referring to the eastern band of cherokee indians and they have basically said, yes, they're good with it. Now, that's not always been the case. They seemingly have changed their mind when the Braves incorporated them in, in some programs and things like that. And as Jeff Passan of ESPN made the case very eloquently during the playoffs last year, while, yes, the Atlanta Braves are a regional team, this is a national sport. And when the Braves are on national television during the postseason and people see the tomahawk job, it's not exactly universal among the Native American community or even among the non-Native American community that the imagery and the chop are great ideas. And certainly there are people, Native Americans, who believe that it is offensive. Now, I don't necessarily want to get into the quote-unquote politics of this. I will say it bothers me greatly when white people determine that something that might be offensive to a minority group shouldn't be offensive. No, we don't get to decide. That's not a white person's choice. At the same time, this doesn't seem to be ending in Atlanta anytime soon. I thought it would come to an end too. Once the Guardian's name came into being, Cleveland made its decision, Washington in the NFL made its decision, and yet the Braves are holding on and their fans will throw a fit. A number of their fans will throw a fit, a large number, if the chop goes away and if the name is changed. I go back, though, to what Ryan Helsley said 
during the 2019 Division Series. Ryan Helsley for the Cardinals, member of the Cherokee Nation. He said it depicts Native Americans in this kind of caveman-type way where the people are not intellectual. I thought that was well put by Ryan Helsley. He is a person who feels this directly. He is, again, a member of the Cherokee Nation. Now, no one is going to be unanimous on any one issue ever in this country or anywhere else for that matter. But at the same time, if you're a sport that claims to be so sensitive and that claims to be empathetic and claims to be all these wonderful things, well, you need to sit on your franchises to do the right thing. It happened in Cleveland. It's not happening in Atlanta. I know there are Braves fans. I have friends who are Braves fans who will disagree with me. That's fine. Free country. But that's my opinion. And at some point, I would like to see this change and go away. For what it's worth, I completely agree with you, Ken. I'm on board with just about everything you just said. So, uh, yeah, eventually we'll see. Um, For some reason, it feels like there's less pressure on the Braves overall than some of these other franchises. But I think it's going to build. Well, there is less pressure, Tim, because the commissioner has basically exonerated them and said they're fine. Hey, we're good. It's a regional sport. That's their region. They're good. It's a little bit more complicated than that, in my opinion. Yep, certainly. All right, if you want to get involved next week, you can do it with the voicemail line 646-543-7072 or email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Coming up next on this feed Tuesday, uh, Jason is back after also vacationing, although reports you and Jason did not spend your vacations together, right, Ken? No, we were not together. It would have been fun, though. (laughs) (laughs) You guys talk enough when you're not on vacation. True. Uh, Jason's back along with Doug for Starkville. Uh, They'll be talking a lot about Pujols' power surge as of late. Um, And then on Wednesday, of course, it's the Roundtable Show. Thursday, the 3-0 Show. And Friday, DVR and Law. If you want to join The Athletic, you can do it for $1 per month for six months. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Ken, have a great week. Have a great week, everyone out there as well. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim.